Welcome to the Tri-Tech Games Podcast. This is Bruce. This is John. This is Blix. This is Trav. And this is Dr. Nick. Welcome, Dr. Nick, to the TriTac Games Podcast, your podcast of promoting your product anywhere we can do it. Dr. Nick is the winner of the Iron GM contest. You were the winner, right? Well, I was the regional iron contender for uh, TotalCon 2012. Yes, sir. Excellent. And so he's here to tell us about his product that he has uh, designed as a result of that competition and is available on DriveThruRPG. We think it's just an absolute shoe-in to work with Fringeworthy and a lot of the other products that we have. So we wanted to give him an opportunity to really let us know how great it could make our game and your game. We've got a couple of PDFs for sale. You can only see one of them unless you're approved for adult content on DriveThruRPG. So uh, you gotta got to be approved for adult content to see the second product. First one is a setting in 3000 BC. So that's uh, ancient Mesopotamia, you know, full of myth and legend, Bronze Age kind of stuff. And that is the caravan module. Just out of curiosity, what language are they speaking? Because this, this is one of the things in French where they, when you come through a portal, depending on where your portal is stationed or where, where it's been put, you speak whatever the primary language is there. So whatever language is being spoken by the most amount of people is the language that you automatically are gifted by the, the portal system. It's sort of like a – it's kind of a smart AI kind of thing. Yeah. So, yeah, you'd be speaking Sumerian. But there are other languages like Hittite and Hebrew and Assyrian. You know, there are definitely other languages around that, uh, and you you will even encounter those different characters. And then, in addition to that, there's the magical langu- languages as well, because it is high fantasy. So, uh, you know, you've got uh, the ability to potentially talk to the different intelligent animals, which you know speak an entirely different tongue. So, uh, languages actually play an important part in this, and that's something that uh, is de- is documented in the in the caravan module like you know these different people speak this tongue and as the different modules come out uh, for the mesopotamian setting uh, certainly that'll be uh, discussed and uh, reviewed you know what what tongues are there you can kind of see it on the the map as well uh, you know if you're over in the persia area they're going to speak persian if uh, you're in the arabia area they're going to be uh, in arabic if you're in assyria then you've got a couple of different dialects inside of there as a whole those different regions tend to have a predominant trade tongue and then there's regional dialects and subtongues as well that's a whole another thing uh uh, in, a, in, in a scholarly uh, discussion that we could get into for a full hour. Oh, sure, sure. You know, just the point is, is that one of the things that's going to happen with Fringeworthy teams is that this, these are not common languages because, like you said, Hebrew, but it's ancient Hebrew. It's not today's Hebrew. 
Correct. So when your team comes through, you know, if you don't have a bunch of, you know, linguistic history types, uh, most of them are only going to be speaking whatever language it is they're gifted when they get there. And that's it. They're not going to understand any of the languages around them. Would they still be able to speak English or do they? Do they yes. yes. So they'd still be able to communicate with each other. But one thing that would be interesting to do would be like give one person a Syrian and one person uh, a Hurrian and one person, you know, the uh, Persian. They all have a different tongue uh, that they could speak to. That would be an interesting glitch in the system. That would be an interesting problem portal. No, you know, you know what you do? You put that portal right on the edge, like right – you set the portal right – in between several of the different zones where they have, uh, where primary languages are. Or a trade city, yeah, yeah, a trade city where all these different tongues are spoken anyway. And the system gets confused, it doesn't know what to do, so it just gives everybody a different language. Well, what I do in my game is I don't base it upon population, I base it on whichever group has the highest level of technology. If we accept that magic is technology, then here you have this one group, and then the mage saunters into town with his group. All of a sudden, the primary language has changed. So people could be going in and out of the portal and suddenly find themselves with different languages. And then maybe the, the, uh, the dwarves show up in the town with their technology. And hey, now someone's speaking dwarvish. Man, you're just messing with people now, Bruce. <laughs> well, that's what I do, Peter. You know that. <laughs> yeah. I do, I do. Yeah, I cool. think that uh, in this caravan module, and in terms of uh, where the portal would be, it would be in the central trade city, which is kind of like the main part of the the module. And that would be uh, an interesting thing to bring them in there, and then they'd have to explore the way back out and around, or and you know resolve the problem of what's going on with this uh, with this uh, trade city in the adventure. So I think that it would work out pretty well. I mean, there's a there's a big ziggurat and an altar and you know all sorts of fun stuff in there that would play in to be a, a perfect spot for a portal. Uh, what is a ziggurat? A ziggurat is kind of like a, a rectangular blocky pyramid. Okay. Will you include known historical events that occurred in that period? Uh, well, we definitely reference them, and like I was saying earlier about the, uh, as opposed to being firm with a specific time frame, it's more of the era. Uh, we want to have that feel and get those uh, big events uh, referenced or be part of the story, uh, but not necessarily as the uh, end-all, be-all of, you know, this is what's going to happen uh, here. Using, like, Egypt for an example, Killing off, uh, you know, getting involved and in, uh, meeting one specific pharaoh in the greater scheme of things probably is, is not that big of a deal. Uh, but, you know, going up and trying to get involved with uh, Sargon or Lugal Legizi, uh, I don't know if I ever pronounced that name right, then that, you know, that's a little different. Uh, those are very specific individuals. So while we want to include that stuff and have it referenced, it's not necessarily something that's going to be uh, the primary core of the action. Because if you want to shift the era around and move from one end to the other end of it, we want to be able to do that and support it. But in this module, there definitely is the, you know, the Sumerian and Assyrian um, uh, war is the backdrop for it. Uh, and that's kind of the subtext of, of what's going on uh, in the beginning part of the campaign and overall. Yeah. So yeah, there okay. definitely is that stuff. So Nick, it's a Cold War or is it during wartime that this all starts? 
Uh, this is kind of the uh, initial scouting where um, you know Babylon, the Babylon is being founded, the Sumerian Empire is uh, expanding, the Assyrians are, and the the battles are just kind of starting. Lugalagizi hasn't been beaten yet; uh, he's still in power, so it's 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 just starting between that struggle between the two cultures. So, like border skirmishes and things like that, little small unit type stuff. That would. I think be a perfect and appropriate challenge for a, a starting adventure of a group. Yes, uh, that sounds like it might fit in well. I think that you found out uh, you, you've uncovered one of the uh, missions in there. Yes. Oh, okay. All right. Uh, yeah, that's exactly what it's about. You know, you've got that investigating kind of uh, scouting groups and uh, border skirmishes starting. You know, those small groups that are kind of going in, seeing where the armies are at, figuring out, uh, you know, how they want to actually do battle as opposed to actually doing battle. And you can sit there and have the, the player characters decide what side do I want to be on to yeah, you've got Sumerians and Assyrians and um, if you've got, uh, yeah, Babylon if you, versus Ur. So yeah, yeah, you can, you could, you could definitely do that. If you add a bunch of Assyrians, yeah, they're all going to be on the Assyrian side. But let's say you have a mixed party. Just well, I want to play this, I want to play that. Well, then you have the right because you're in the beginning of this era of that is going to evolve into wars. You can sit there and say, okay, well, you know what? We're really not keen about these people. Let's join with this group and see, you know, because they have more to offer or they look like they're going to be the winning side or whatever. So you have the players, the ability to, they have a little cohesive unit because they've been scouting and doing all this stuff in this pre-war era. And they can go off and do, you know, whatever because it's still a very rather fluid environment as opposed to in a war you have sides. In terms of how I like to write in general, and also for, for this setting in specific, um, I prefer to kind of keep the characters uh, involved, but not in the thick of the battles, but I'm more on the sidelines of the, the war, where they're influencing and having an effect on the greater outcome of the political uh, landscape, but not necessarily involved in the frontline battles. And that right. doesn't mean that they're not battling themselves uh, with, with uh, you know, challenges and forces and, you know, getting some uh, blood on their bronze uh, spears, but uh, it does mean that, you know, they are not, you know, on the front lines of uh, the, the main battles. Uh, and I think that that's important. And if you do that, that allows them to have a level of flexibility where they can kind of push into different directions. And if they can go, if they want to go be on one side, that's great. If they want to go be on the other side, that's that's also great. A lot of the challenges that pop up are available for uh, different unallied challenges. So you know, the dragons aren't really involved with either of the the sides of the. Uh, armies and the orcs in the mountains aren't really involved with either side so no matter which way the players decide to choose these other challenges that are arising uh, are still able to be addressed and dealt with uh, as they grow yeah i can see that it's like okay fine we're getting away from this war we know what's going to happen we know it's going to be ugly we're going into the mountains there's what up there yeah the good thing i'm seeing about this setting is that you know you can do if you want you got players that are just all Oh, we're ground pounding. We, you know, they're, you know, like the, I want blood and gore and veins in my teeth. You know, you can have them, the ground pounders, the combat monsters. If you want more urban based adventures or even courtly based adventures where you're dealing with political maneuvering, 
And totally. Yes. Yeah, uh, that's yeah. another good thing about urban adventures such as this era where civilization is just beginning. Quite literally, uh, Ur, you know, the city, you are Ur, uh, you know, you can have an Ur, you know, adventure uh, or go to Nineveh and cruise around in Nineveh. And these are, you know, documented historical sites. You can see uh, and understand where the rough layouts are with a little bit of research. And the cultures are so rich and and everything that, uh, yes, that's totally uh, something that can be done. Some of the later adventures involve the nobility of the different cities and the allies and the marriages between them, and the players get to play bodyguards and get involved with that. So, yeah, that's that's definitely um, uh, an aspect of it that can be explored and, and drawn into. And like the example that I used early on with the uh, players getting to meet uh, King Sargon and having a chat with him, that's something that is is cool. You know, it was it was all role playing. There wasn't any combat involved there. And as the players grow and they make their names for themselves and they start defeating different enemies and becoming, you know, heroes to the true extent that they could be. If you're a king, you you want to court these heroes. You know, just like in any, you know, turn-based strategy game or, you know, things like that. You know, you want to get heroes on your side cuz they're cool and they're tough and people like them. So everybody kind of wants you on their side. So again, that allows you to play out that uh, well, where do we want to go? Who do we want to work for? You know, the beauty of this is is that uh, from the Fringeworthy perspective is this isn't our past. So you can't screw it up and mess up, you know, the future or anything like that. So any decision you make, anything that goes wrong, it's not going to it's not going to affect your past and, and mess up the future or anything like that. And additional addition to that is, is that, uh, you know, the members of IDET, do not have any kind of um, uh, prime directive. Yeah, they are allowed to get involved. As a matter of fact, the the uh, the, the purpose of them going to these worlds uh, is to set up trade negotiations and to set up uh, alliances with the uh, with with IDET. You know, so they can go in and they can talk to the pharaoh. And if they deem that you know it's it's not going to get them all killed or whatever, they can say, you know, pharaoh, we are from another place, another world. And uh, we would like to set up, you know, trade negotiations with you. Uh, we can give you advanced, you know, technology to help your efforts. So, IDET can actually pick sides and, and help that side take over, just to help them out. I mean, IDET is, in some ways, it's a little. It it seems like a little bad in a way because you know they they choose what side they want to take, and they will. They're not above giving them advanced technology so that they can be the supreme force in that era uh, or in that area so that, um, you know, so that when IDET members come through, you know, hey, we're going to go to Egypt and uh, we, we know we're going to be safe because we gave them all the good technology and we know that they're going to control the region for us and then give us stuff from this region. And when I say, you know, give them stuff, you know, you think well, what would a what would a, an ancient civilization be able to give them? You have to imagine that when the, the way these fringe paths are set out, a lot of times they have to travel long distances because the the distances between portals, they actually have to physically travel a long distance. So this might be a stopping point for them to stop off and get food and water and supplies and stuff. Um, and it might be crucial, you know, that they they might have had to have traveled you know, 300 miles to get to this one stopping point to get food and water and stuff. And they don't want this to be a volatile region. They want these, say the Egyptians, they want them to be in control so that when their people come through, they're dealing with the pharaoh that they know and they can get all the supplies that they need so they can move on to the next portal. 
And in terms of this setting, yeah, what you can do with that is say, okay, yeah, we've got to travel across here. So uh, I've got to get from Ura to Nineveh uh, to get to these between these two portals. I've got to make sure that this culture and this warlord or king here has enough power to maintain and keep the orcs down or keep the gnolls down or or get rid of or uh, if he says if we get rid of that dragon, then yeah, he'll be able to make sure that we'll be safe and well anytime we come through. Yes, that seems to make a lot of sense. Uh, definitely, right, definitely. Yeah. Right, uh, yeah. I could see that playing out very nicely in terms of uh, a fringeworthy uh, mini campaign and, and setting. Right. And worlds that have magic are always of interest to IDED because, first of all, we don't have magic on our world. So there's a lot of things you can do with magic that you can't do through no- normal means. I mean, simple things like uh, alchemy. If you could turn some base metal and turn it into, let's say, iridium, which is worth more than gold, people say, oh, yeah, it'll turn to gold. We don't need gold, but we do need things like iridium and rare earths and things for us in our computer industry that we pay through the nose to get. If you could just convert it easily from base materials over on a magical world, that's hot stuff. So do you worry that people who play your adventures might end up doing a Xena warrior princess and just make a hash of history? <laughs> um, well, I think that that's up to the individual players and the game master. Uh, our goal is to provide a setting, and their goal and job is to have fun. And if that's what they want to do, then great, you know, go for it. Xena obviously is a little bit more uh, Mediterranean oriented in terms of the setting and stuff. You know, if they want to go through and just kind of uh, you know bust stuff up, that's definitely a possibility. There are plenty of opportunities to do that in there. If that's how the, that group has fun, uh, you know, go for it. This setting is pretty uh, interesting in that sense. They'll just have to do it with bronze weapons and, and wood shields. Do you guys want to move on to Nick's other thing for uh, the Bureau Thirteen plugin? Sure, I think that'd be great. Uh, the Deadly Seven. That, that's like a nice little bonus. I, I didn't know this was here. This is awesome. Tell us about this Deadly Seven. Uh, so it's a modern era, you know, current time. And it's all supernatural horror adventure. Um, what essentially it is is, uh, it, you know, common trope: the seven deadly sins uh, manifesting in the current world. And the players are sitting there trying to figure out, uh, you know, who's affected, what they're up to, uh, and then ultimately, you know, what's behind these things coming into our world. The book itself is huge. I mean, like literally huge. It's two hundred pages, tons of maps. Adventure, it takes up the bulk of those 150 pages, but some of it is source book and research as well. So we try to provide a good volume of crunch, plot, and fluff to, to build it up with. There's discussions of you know how possession and demons can work. Uh, there's historical research that we've done in terms of the different manifestations and documented cases of exorcisms and that sort of thing. So you can get a, a lot of good background material in there with it. It is able to be put in just about any you know modern urban setting as long as there's paranormal activity then it would fit into that world it was interesting going through the process of this uh to get the licensing and and to work on that because there are some mature topics in here i mean you know you're dealing with things like uh wrath and lust and envy and, and when you're dealing with that stuff some some very uh dangerous topics can come to light. 
one of the things that we always approached and took a, a very strong approach towards in, in any mature topic that we deal with is to put in as little information as necessary and allow the game master and the players to fill in those details on their own. And I really think that that's how horror works. You know, horror works by uh, hinting. Uh, this isn't splatter gore. Uh, so it's not you know like sitting there and you know watching somebody get uh, blood splattered all over them in a in a you know a splat movie. This is talking about the subtleties of the terror and uh, horrible transgressions that somebody might commit under the influence of one of these you know super deadly demonic uh, sins. As a result of that, we don't really concentrate on those specific transgressions versus and to discover who and what these people are and what's driving them and allow the players to kind of fill that in uh, to their own. The co-writer uh, Drew and designer, um, you know, his thing, if we say that, you know, there is a, a scene of torture involving a branding iron and surgical thread and a needle, uh, your brain's going to fill in very, very different details than somebody else's brain that's going to uh, fill in those details. But still, the, the seeds are planted there. So we have a lot of those seeds put in and uh, then the players and GMs get to morph that. So very little, you know, again, direct gore, but more thrill and subtle horror that gets presented in terms of how the actual stories play out. But then again, like as part of it, there's also, you know, thugs that try to come in and bash you. So, you know, there's the, there's the fights there as well. Um, and it's, I think, got a good mix of all different story elements, types, and styles, and pacing. If somebody wants to just use you know one segment because they just want to deal with the high action uh, sins, they can do that. You know, let's let's jump into those and just work with them. If somebody wants to deal with more of the human story or the troubled soul story, they could just concentrate on that and explore those ones. Uh, so between the seven of them that are there, it's a it's a mix of uh, what you get to fight against or find out against, uh, depending upon what your preference and style is. And when you put them all together and into this larger frame, it becomes uh, a very, very interesting kind of interwoven and connected story. And I would play it personally and how I'm playing it uh, in my game and played in my game is that, uh, you know, I kind of sprinkle the different adventures in. I didn't run it. I'm not running it, you know, one through seven. They're just kind of finding out different things about what's going on and you know one adventure might get uh, sprinkled in one session and then maybe two or three sessions down the road uh, after they've dealt with that the the second one shows up and then at some point in time that critical mass builds and all of the sins uh, you know and the the prime motivator behind them uh, get involved and then quite literally all hell breaks loose well, yeah, I do like that where you spread them out because you don't want to ha you know, hit them all at once with that. It's good to filter them through once in a while, and it keeps them on their toes, and you think, okay, yeah, it was just this one thing, and then they realize, okay, wait a minute, we have pride, we have wrath, and then gluttony. Okay, I see a pattern here, you know, and, yeah. and it builds, and it does help build up that that tension which we have a, a term here it helps the buy-in into the whole arc right right and you know sloth you don't have to worry about that one nothing to do there right <laughs> but you know you know it's really cool is that the fact if you're if you're playing with savage worlds and you're playing with the um you're playing with your drama deck 
you know, th- this is good. Let's say, you, you know, a couple of these things have happened and, and the players aren't catching on. They haven't recognized Wrath and they haven't recognized uh, whatever you've thrown at them. They haven't recognized Sloth and they haven't recognized Greed. And somebody plays, hey, you know, seems like there's a lot of stuff going on here and I'm really confused. I'm going to play my, you know, my, my, I forget which card it is, but there's one, one of the cards is like a question card. Get a clue. Get a clue, right. That's where the, the game master could say, I'm going to say three words, seven deadly sins, and then just leave it at that. And then let them muster through it and like figure out which ones they've already encountered or, or something like that, which is nice because you, you know you can play this in the background. You can keep it really subtle. Don't let them know you're doing it. And you know this could be three months down the road. You drop that bomb on them and, and they start thinking back and like, oh, yeah, there was greed. Oh, that was sloth. Oh, wow, that crazy lady was really angry, wasn't she? Right, yeah. right, right. And, oh. and it could be like a really, like, that That could actually cause the adventure to, like, kickstart. Like, oh, my God, which other ones have we seen? And they'd have to figure out all the stuff that they've done and then figure out, well, what are we looking for next and, and what, what do we need to do? Um, and, and, and we haven't said this yet, but... This is great for Bureau 13. So, so we've been talking Frenchworthy. And, and you could still use it for Frenchworthy. That's no problem. You could go to a world where this stuff is going on. You could even sprinkle it into a Frenchworthy campaign. Where demons are possessing the population. Right, right. Yeah. But it really is good for Bureau 13, which is, of course, tied into Frenchworthy. But this would really be best for Bureau 13. And Nick, it's kind of a surprise, kind of a pleasant surprise to, to know that you've played Bureau 13. Oh, yeah. I uh, had a character that uh, I rolled extremely lucky, and I, I actually had gray magic. Uh, I was like, woo, woo, wow, I rolled an 03 uh, when, during character generation. Um, but yeah, so that was, and I had a hardcore GM who uh, was like, no, you will not have anything unless you roll it appropriately according to the uh, rules. And I got lucky and, uh, and did that. He ended up dying in a flaming mess that was horrible after his zygomatic arch on his face was broken by a, a ghoul zombie thing it was not not pretty yeah it was uh, it was great uh yeah we had a, a campaign for um probably uh the better part of one school year uh, we were running that and uh it was uh, one of my favorite uh and most fond memories of a uh, a game that i got to play in for certain because most of the time i'm always running them so well that that's cool because you know i didn't know that you were a try you know it turns out you were a tri-tech fan yes i am so cool that's <laughs> excellent so and, and you've written product that's uh that that's very appropriate for for a, a tri-tech product is this for uh, d20 as well Oh, of course. Yeah, this one it runs the same way. You know, we've got the uh, Savage Worlds D20 Modern and uh, True 20 stats in there. And that's, uh, again, the layered PDF. So uh, whatever system you're playing, you just click on the layer and, and it uh, automatically puts up all those rule settings for, uh, for, the, for that system. Yeah, because as it stands, uh, we, we've, got, um, we've got Bureau 13 for D20. Is that correct? Yes. Yes, we do. And we're, of course, after Fringeworthy is released in Savage Worlds, Bureau 13 is the next uh, Savage World setting that we're, we're working on. Savage Bureau 13. So, so that's really great. I mean, that, that's perfect. It's like a perfect little, little marriage here. And that's, you know, that's exactly what we're going for with that multi-layered product. You got it. Okay, so is there anything else about your products that we haven't asked you about that you think you'd, we should know about? Because, so we would be just hell-bent to go and, and buy this as soon as we possibly can from drive RPG. 
Sounds great. I just picked up my copy right now. I, I was, I'm assuming that was a digital transaction. <laughs> yes. Um, it certainly was a digital statement. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, uh, Nick, the name of the publisher? It is Panic Productions. P-A-N-I-K uh, okay. Productions. Right, because if you search for Nick Palmer for this product, you won't find it. Right, yeah. Yeah, you'll have to search for Panic Productions. We're uh, right down in the, the list of the publishers on there. We've got a couple of other ones coming up. The uh, modern setting is kind of where our focus is at right now in terms of the next few products that we've got. Uh, I believe the next one coming out is uh, going to be either Abyss of Insanity, which is uh, which takes place in uh, Antarctica. Um, ooh, ooh. Oh. Yeah, or... Uh, no, we'll get back to that. Hold on. We're going we're gonna to come back to that, but go ahead. Uh, or the other one is uh, the, our React sourcebook, which uh, React is kind of like uh, my uh, catch-all group that is in a modern uh, world. Um, they'd probably be similar to an IDET group. You know, they're, they're the heroes and the good doers in the uh, game world. And it's just kind of to give a little bit more background setting, the, the modern setting that most of our stuff takes place in. Uh, but again, that'll all be that multi-layered uh, product that we're that we've been talking about. And and are you you primarily on drive-through? Uh, yeah, that's where we're at, uh, and also at conventions. You know, I love a booth at Origins, and uh, we're trying to get a deal uh, at uh, Gen Con uh, as well. Uh, I'll be running Caravan at Gen Con on Wednesday and Thursday night, um, so uh, that's uh, available. Uh, so if anybody's interested, they can always sign up to uh, right. play with Creator. Are Are you sold out, or do you still have seats? I still have seats. Yeah. Ah, I'm going to get in it. I'm going to get in it. Um, okay, so just just real quick, because you were saying you have something set in Antarctica, which, which is perfect because IDET, you know, one of their bases is set at McMurdo Station. Oh, that's a good kickoff point for this adventure. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it, this is, uh, you know, I'm one of those typical Lovecraft fan guys. So, you know, you got Mountains of Madness. I've got an Abyss of Insanity. Okay. Um, Antarctica. So at the Mountains of Madness. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So um, I had to do that. It's, it's, it's an interesting adventure. And again, with that one, there's a lot of supplemental uh, information about dealing with the cold and all the different things that occur uh, in those types of environments. And, uh, you know, how fast does it take to go someplace in a snowcat versus a snowmobile versus a dog sled team? And it's an interesting module. And just real quick. You would be somebody who would know that, right? I would be somebody who would know that. Just to tell people real quick how you would be somebody who would know about all that. Holly, come here. Holly, say hello. <laughs> Good girl. So that's Hollywood. Um, I have 15 sled dogs. Oh, wow. Yes. Nick is a, is a sled dog racer. I am a musher. Musher, yes, yes. So he, he knows a little bit about, you know, traveling on ice and snow and such. And it's it's crazy. It's it's crazy. <laughs> so So you've been you have been on the uh blah, 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 Iditarod? Have you been to the Olympics? No. Yeah, I've not been to the Iditarod either. Okay, so that would be like a bucket list thing for you. Gotcha. Okay. I am not <laughs> that crazy. Like seriously. That's that's serious hardcore. Um you know, I'm I'll, I'll I cap my trips at like 30, 40 miles, and they're doing like a thousand miles. So 30, 40 miles is uh, is good enough for me. 
Well, just so you guys, just so everybody knows, uh, Nick lives up in, in the New England area, so he lives in an area that it, it does does see some ice and snow and such. But you know, he, he it, it's not Alaska, but he does do um, uh, dog sledding and such. It would be the equivalent of going to the Olympics. You got to be like a full time hardcore into it to be able to do that kind of stuff. And I still have a day job and have to get my gaming in too. Oh yeah, of course. Priorities, man. Priorities. Exactly. But he's he's not the Nancy Kerrigan of dog sledding, you know. No, not yet. Uh, I don't think that'll uh, that'll that'll ever come. I'm I'm more in it for the fun and the enjoyment of living with a pack of crazy howling Siberians. But it's it's pretty cool that you said that in Antarctica because that, that's just perfect because we you know um one of the French worthy stations is in Antarctica. So yeah, when that comes out and a strange crack in the ice gets in there, um, you know yeah. Uh, so yeah, we'll have to talk uh, after the uh, podcast uh, about uh, getting a, a little fringe worthy page uh, section in there for you. Absolutely. Well, I'm going to be at Gen Con. I know you're going to be at Gen Con. You know, we we could even talk then or or, or whatever. But make sure that we uh, we we coordinate on that because um, uh, that, that's definitely a good marriage. We're glad to send people your way because you definitely have a product that is. Perfect for our audience. I appreciate that. We're trying to make some good quality stuff. My partner Drew and I are big on quality and trying to ensure that we're giving something back to the community that we've gained so much from. I agree. I think that this is a a pretty good mesh for uh, what y'all are doing with the Fringeworthy line. Absolutely. So does anybody else have anything to expand on? I'm quite impressed with what i've heard tonight i went to the drive through rpg page deadly 7 pdf 1295 i peruse this site a lot uh 595 for caravan that is correct you can't beat that no would you would you say nick the one the 1295 one that that's what 200 plus pages yeah 200 plus pages um it's uh just over yeah it's like 201 pages i think you know, all bunch of maps, three sets of rule system, and uh, source book as well as adventure. Uh, so yeah, uh, I think so. I think that it's actually a really, really, um, it's huge. It took me three hours to put the thing in plastic sleeves so that we would have it uh, available to show at conventions. It's <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Yeah, I don't even want to tell you how long it took me to print out. Oh my gosh. And, yeah. I, and and we'll have this episode up before Gen Con. So if you're going to Gen Con. Oh, play in caravan, yeah, yeah definitely, absolutely. Find find Doctor Nick. He's he he'll be there, um, and if if it's not sold out, and, and I'm I'm available during that time slot, I'm going to be on that one too. So, yeah, see, I'm going to miss that. I won't be getting into Friday night, Nick. So it'll be a shame that I miss that game. But when, when is it? When is it, Nick? When when's that adventure? Uh, I'm running Caravan on uh, Wednesday and Thursday night, so I'm doing the pre-event uh, Wednesday and then uh, running it Thursday as well. And then uh, I've got my How to Be a Great GM uh, presentation on Friday morning, mm-hmm. and then Saturday I will be competing as uh, an Iron Contender in the Iron GM uh, Game Master Championship. If you're not getting until Friday, come in on Saturday and uh, hop into the Iron GM competition and see me rock and roll with the secret ingredients. Fantastic. Hey, Let's let's talk about that. We didn't talk about that. Let's talk about that just real quick. Uh, uh, Iron GM, uh, uh, explain that to us. 
Uh, so Iron GM is uh, the uh, rock and roll GM competition. Uh, they go around to different conventions throughout the country and uh, hold their events. Uh, there's usually you know about 10 game masters who compete for the title of Iron Contender at the regional events. And all of the Iron Contenders win a trip to Gen Con to compete at the Nationals. Uh, and what they do is they give you three secret ingredients. Um, you've got an hour to come up with an adventure and the players have an hour to make characters and then you run the game for four hours and at the end of it the players have to grade you the winners are done by a a pretty interesting scoring mechanism of which only the creators uh know the secrets of and they they crown it at the end of that i was told that that secret ingredient was done by a an actual uh what was it a a a, a logistician and a um uh, they actually hired people to, to build this logic engine Yes, uh, to do their evaluations of uh, and the the questionnaire and scorings. Yeah, uh, and it's it's set up so that you know you have, yeah you've got to actually read the questions and respond to them for them to to, to work. If you just kind of BS your way through the the survey, uh, it throws it out. It's a pretty nice system. Right. Hmm. Do the judges speak out of sync like the Japanese Iron Chef? <laughs> <laughs> they, actually, they can and sometimes do. Uh, yes. Yeah. If you're at Gen Con, if you're anywhere the Iron GM thing is, it's really interesting to, to just simply to even watch. I mean, to participate is one thing, but you can watch it and get entertained. It's, it's actually kind of fun. Yeah, it is. A, it is one of the hardest uh, game mastering uh, things that I've done because you can absolutely not prepare for it and do well. Uh, you know, if you prepare for it, you're probably not going to do that well because you'll have this preconceived notion in your head of what you want to do, and that's not what it's about. You know, you've got to go in there and adapt and roll and just uh, make those players have a good time. And literally, like uh, this uh, last event. Um, uh, my players finished with uh, two minutes left on the time, and they all uh, they got a, a wish that they got granted and uh, got to meet their god. And uh, you know, it was it was total high epic fantasy. Because I mean, you've got to go big. It's it's totally about going big and doing just this huge epic adventure in as in this four hour time slot and uh, trying to make it fit in there perfectly. Um, and it's interesting, you know. I I think that I've grown a lot competing in this as a as a game master, uh, and uh, it's been great for the system. The players didn't take Savage Worlds last time. Uh, they did take Fudge when I was at Gen Con last year, so uh, that was interesting running a game in Fudge with them for there. Right, because the default, as I understand, the default is sort of a D twenty, but you can go with some other system if everybody agrees to it. Yeah, the table's got to agree to it. Right, right. In order for uh, you to run an alternate system. So, um, uh, just throw this out there. Saturday night, they at Gen Con, they have um, Savage Saturday Night, which I'm sure you're probably going to, maybe? I will definitely be stopping by, yes. Excellent. Once it's done, we're going to be doing a podcast. We're going to be doing a live uh, TriTac podcast with all the hosts. Everybody you see here is all going to be live and the creator of the game. You should stop by and make a little visit. Uh, you'll have oh, to tell yeah. me when and where it is. Yeah, I will. I will. Come and, and pat you all on the head and say, oh, you're such good little podcasters. Or you, should, you should stop in, make a little statement, you know, just just be a part of it. Because I, I really think I see a lot of collaboration between us um, in the future because i think a lot of stuff that you're doing is is you know right up our right up our alley 
And who knows? I might even have a title belt uh, when I stop by. We'll have that to see. would be fantastic. Uh, I'm ro- I'm rooting for you. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Excellent. All right. So, Bruce, you want to wrap us up? <laughs> All right. Well, thank you very much, Nick Palmer, for and otherwise known as Dr. Nick, for being with us for this excellent adventure in Mesopotamia and the Seven Deadly Sins. We also want to thank John Ryer for sticking it out like a real trooper because he wasn't actually replaced by a cyborg robot. John's has such a bad throat cold that he's been using uh, his impersonation of a famous uh, mathematician to be able to uh, participate in tonight's podcast. So kudos to you, John. For those of you who are wondering why I am doing this Stephen Hawking thing, well, this is my voice. Hi, folks. This is what I sound like right now. (laughs) Nick, we really are looking forward to seeing you at Gen Con, and we hope you get into some of our games, because we are going to be running Bureau 13, as well as Fringeworthy, and even Hardwired Hinterland. We would really like to see an opportunity to play in some of your games, too. And I really appreciate the opportunity for coming on. You guys are great. We look forward to seeing you on the show again in the future. Right on. Thank you. Open invitation. You can come on here anytime. Right. Yep. Nick, no problem. Right. But until then, this is Bruce Sheffer saying there are a million, million worlds out there. So go explore them. This is John Ryer saying keep your powder dry and keep those cards and letters coming in. This is Blix. Don't hate the game. Hate the players. And this is Trav. There's a reason why it's called gaming. It's for having fun. Dr. Nick is a level 6 business technologist, level 5 nerd, level 4 musher, and level 3 kickboxer. This multi-class professional is here to game for you. Yo, brothers. This was the Tri-Tech Games Podcast. You know the drill. It's protected under the Creative Commons License 3.0. No commercial reproduction. No derivatives. And sucker, you best attribute this to the folks at TriTech Games. And if you don't, we'll be having your sorry butts. Cause we're some bad mothers. Hi, this is Trav of the Travcast, Hour 3 of Blind Wolf's Rubber Room Association on DementiaRadio.org, Tuesdays, 8 to 9 p.m. Eastern.